The theme for the afternoon talk is Samadhi and freeing the mind up. In the explorations and the practices uh, uh, which take place, there's a certain kind of evolution or uh, direction. It can happen organically and it can happen through our uh, active contribution. What I mean here is that the silences, the stillnesses, the mindfulnesses, the meditative atmosphere, when we as a collective allow ourselves to rest in this, regardless of method and technique and form and structure and timetable, just resting in the general silences and stillnesses, meditative culture there. There is a natural, organic, inner development which takes place. As stresses and pressures which have accumulated begin to naturally fade away because we're not feeding them, this also allows and gives the potential for a further deepening. It can be in the uh, exploration that takes place that (coughs) we might feel and think we are lightweight, superficial, shallow, it's not getting or going very uh, deep at all. It's important to uh, uh, remember that our experience, that means consciousness, being conscious with its object, thoughts, feelings, views, breath, body, whatever, consciousness with its object is a very small aspect of the life. And quite often we interpret the immediacy of experience, good, bad, or somewhere in between, but we can't know and we don't know what else is going on within. Consciousness just selects a little bit. And there is much more in the aspect of the makeup of the human being which we're not getting access to. So we tend to judge on the immediate experience. It can happen, it does happen in a variety of ways that in the movement of the inner experiences in the movement of that which we do not experience, days, weeks, months, years later, something can stand out, called an insight, called a realization, 
which was not seen, felt, known or touched upon in any way during these days. One has no recollection of any kind of experience while being here. No recollection of anything that Sonia or I might have said in the instructions and practices and the uh, talks. Yet, in the dynamic going on inside, there can be some outcome, important ones, which emerge later, at some future date. There are experiences as well which take place which in the moment, at the time, do not seem very significant. They seem just to be another experience which is occurring in the flow of the days here. We cannot know, often, the deep significance of an experience whether it's pleasant, whether it's neutral, or whether it's unpleasant. We, we may not be able to see its importance. But that small, hardly noticed experience, which did not seem relevant at the time, it becomes the confirmation of the infinite. It becomes the standout moment. It becomes the revelation and it requires, so to speak, from us a certain um, receptivity and recognition that the field of experiences, everyone without exception, are a confirmation of what is deep, in fact a revelation uh, of it, and we know in the passage of time if something is deep because it has some enduring value to it. It has some precious importance uh, to it. And so quite often, regularly, not only here, but in connection and relationship to others and uh, to ourselves and much else. There is this uh, precious potential to let life and events, the small things of life, touch us and the acknowledgement of it, whether it's in the immediate present or at some point in the future when it stands uh, out for us. It's in the small events of life that the infinite is revealed. It's, it's in the everyday thing which stands out, which provides some discovery, some freshness, a new way of looking, and what helps for this is that one's got just enough <laughs> concentration in life to recognize it and in the recognition there's a certain freeing up which takes place. The samadhi, remember sam means coming together, d on the particular. 
is just enough capacity, enough concentration for to go or to be with something, either in immediacy or through the memory, which reveals something which I did not see before, which I didn't realize before, which I didn't know before, but now I do. As uh, Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's the same statement, gone on for generations. So there can be a situation, whatever it might be about, we need some quality of mindfulness, concentration. We wish to be receptive to the ordinary there. It may be in that receptivity at some point in time it comes together and that which was not realised before is now realised. That which is not seen before is now seen. That which was not understood before is now understood. And our practices, our explorations are intended to be a contribution to realizing the standout moments, the revelation, the revelationary moment, uh, there, and much else that takes place, the, the sitting, the walking, the standing, and the re reclining, and much uh, uh, more in the day, in some way or other, is a kind of preparation insights and realizations and uh, uh, discovery and it can be and it often happens there can be an insight and we can't even see the insight when it's staring us in the face <laughs> <laughs> you know, a person can say they will say to me oh Christopher I've done these retreats with you and other teachers and blah 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 and will say, I've done all this practice, but I've never had an insight. <laughs> Not one, I hear this word insight, I've never had an insight. And my response to that is, that's an insight. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no excuse. <laughs> Sometimes a person will say, gosh, I, I notice that there's a certain kind of flow of experience which is going on with me. I see that there's the meditation practice, which, whatever, it, which is going on. I see that there are ups and downs which are taking place. I see that there is a disturbance and I start to feel some doubt about what am I doing or am I doing it right or what am I doing here. And then I identify with that doubt and then I notice... Um, some projection, Buddha's word, papancha, proliferation of thinking. And notice that going on. Then I find that struggle to get back, to have that sense of moment to moment, experience to experience, because I'm caught in this thinking and viewing and opinions and doubts and confusion. And then I find my way back. But I haven't had any insights. That is the insight. That is it. And because what is revealed here 
it's the same mind which you're going to go home with. Can we therefore bring just enough? The Buddha's word here is to the extent necessary. I remember reading this when I was a monk and hearing to the extent necessary. It was a huge relief. <laughs> I don't have to be mindful all the time. I don't have to be in samadhi all the time. Just to the extent necessary. And so I need the mindfulness and the samadhi as the contribution to freeing the mind up to be able to follow the process to see what this process is doing and there will be some sequences of experiences like experience, ups and downs calmness, doubt the self identifying with the doubt generating all views about oneself coming back to the process again, continuing in the process. Whoa! This could be, probably is, a sequence which is familiar, and it's so familiar it goes on plenty of times in daily life. Can I have enough vigilance? Uh, the Buddha's word is pamada. Can I have enough um, receptivity that when this hindrance this obstruction called doubt, can I catch it early enough? It's so common, doubting one's being, doubting oneself in everyday language, doubting what I do, doubting other people, or whatever. Can I just learn to catch this particular uh, difficulty or obstruction as early as possible? And if I keep an eye in the ear open, if I can catch it early, then I'm less likely to get into the story. God, I'm, 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 I'm aware, wow, this happens to me. Doubt in life, doubt in oneself, doubt in circumstances, doubt in relationship, or, or whatever. There are times in this samadhi to free the mind up there, where in the seeing of it or the capturing uh, of it uh, early there can be in the movement towards there. And this is where the samadhi is such a, uh, a precious resource. But I have in uh, uh, mind with regard to this. There's a flow, a movement inside. And the movement inside is to do something, whatever it might be. And one knows that which one wishes to do is not harmful, it's not abusive, it's not exploitive, or in any way, just a normal wish to do, whatever that might be about. But how quickly from the wish to do and the intention there the thought can arise so quickly which generates a division a kind of split inside which that division or separation is oh, I wish to do but maybe I should do something else instead. 
or something else. And the original wish to do gets hidden or lost or we find ourselves in a state of confusion because we're producing choices. I could do this, I could do that. And when that wish to do is confused with other wishes to do, the consequence of it upon, quote-unquote, our, uh, ourself, uh, there, is to generate uh, in, inside a lack of trust, a lack of confidence, a lack of ability, a feeling of isolation, of loneliness, of separation, because there's, two, there's the movement, and then the thought is coming in to corrupt it about another movement I could do or I could do that and that eats away trust and confidence in the being and we need enough samadhi and not with the dramatic big changes of life uh, there we need the preparation for the small changes meaning in this case if we know, it doesn't apply to everybody, if we know there's a tendency to have an intentionality, but then we start thinking about all the other things we might do instead, before we get to the other so-called choices, they're not choices, just movements of mind, before we get to that stage, can we feel the experience of the movement, we know it's non-harmful, and we just follow it through. We don't give the mind, the thought, a chance to corrupt the movement, to give another choice, and yet another choice. And that willingness to go from the inner to the movement, the movement might be the spoken, the movement might be the action, doesn't matter what it is. And one follows it through quickly. The Buddha said, the arising of a thought is so fast, he said, I cannot think of an, of an analogy to compare with the speed of a thought arising in consciousness. In other words, it's quick. <laughs> and the samadhi is to allow and enable a movement to take place undistracted. And it's on the small things. You're sitting at the food table and there's still some space in the stomach and then the thought can go, shall I go and have some more, some more to eat or is this enough? And then there's the duality and then that duality might say oh I might be hungry in the afternoon but if I go and eat people will think I'm greedy <laughs> so you're not happy if you stay still and you're not happy if you get up and get the food because both of them have got this oh I might be hungry that's the one unpleasant feeling what will people think that's the other and you're paralysed it frankly doesn't matter whether you get up and eat or whether you stay still and don't eat. <laughs> yeah. Much more the important thing is to be able to 
listen and act to respond and in that response the, the, the direct action you wake up in the middle of the night and then you think wow I've got so much energy the hall is empty at last I can now finally sit without people around me I could go and sit oh no maybe I won't go and sit because then I'd be tired tomorrow and people would see I'm snoring in the city <laughs> or whatever it might be there so instead of saying, well, he's in action, tomorrow can look, or the morning can look after itself, just follow it through. To get in the spirit of something which could be helpful and useful, as if you've got no tomorrow because you'll be dead. <laughs> and you just follow the action through. And you train, and the mindfulness and the samadhi is for that immediate, spontaneous action there in the movement of that when it comes to its end you, you know you have to say or write something to somebody you've been putting it off for decades you finally got enough focus to make whatever it is that you wish to say one wishes to state that with kindness and and uh, 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 Clarity, not put the person down. You compose what you write or you compose what uh, uh, you wish to say. And, and you share that. You take responsibility for what you share. You take responsibility for the past or whatever it, it might be. The movement and its expression uh, there, it takes a certain trust, a major trust really, in the movement of the expression and as I said a few days ago to be extraordinarily mindful at the end of the expression and what that means is in any important communication that you may have with anybody in your life and that includes yourself what is the impression the residue impression which is left God has this word uh, nimitta and freedom is a freedom in life in which the impressions do not get in the way of the reality so it's unnimitta the freedom, the freeing up of the mind is not living in the spell of impressions because impressions hide the truth block the seeing so as an example of what I uh, uh, mean here for the freeing up of the being, the, you have an important meeting. You know, whoever, it could be with your kids, your lover, your boss, your employees and friends or whoever it might be. And you know there's something important there, which is a skill in itself. You, already, you might already here be having conversations inside yourself about what you're going to say to somebody when you go back. Just please remember, they will not agree to the script. If you think you know what they're going to say, you're living in cloud cuckoo land. One never knows what the response will be of the other. But you have something to say. The outcome, what is the impression? If the impression is carried, 
that impression of that in person, if you carry it around with you, when you think about her, him or them, or when you meet her, him or them, you will look at the other, which includes yourself, in terms of your impression of, based on the memory. But the person may have changed in, mean, in the meantime, you may have changed in the meantime, so the impression has no relevance. The impression is called the Mara in this tradition. It's the devil of the mind, of having impressions which are based on the past, based on the old, based on the out of date, and the imagination thinks, as it was, so it is. And then we find ourselves living in the, the devilish state of the mind, the mara uh, of, of the mind, in which we're actually looking for the confirmation to reinforce the impression. We've actually made our mind up beforehand, she, he or I, whoever, is like this. We haven't got the freedom of mind to see clearly because we're looking to confirm to reinforce the old. Is it any wonder there's so much stress and conflict? We're not living for today. We're living to preserve the old. And it takes a certain mindfulness or, uh, or uh, consciousness to really just really be clear and clear enough just with regard to this action before all the doubts and choices set in relationship to the residue of impression Not it, and that applies with the positive as well sometimes we have a really positive impression of a situation or another. And we think because it's so positive, it will always be positive. <laughs> Good luck. Person goes on a retreat. Oh, I had a wonderful retreat. It was brilliant. It never was, but the impression. And uh, whatever it might be. But wonderful, wonderful retreat. It really, etc., etc. And one imagines this is the impression. This is the devil of the mind. How it was, oh, I'll just start off from where I was on the last retreat. I finished so happy, I had so much loving kindness for everybody, the people were so kind, etc. And now I'll just come back to this retreat ten years later and I'll just take off, continue where I left off, etc. Impression, positive and with the identification with the positive impression oh dear oh dear one has the impression that a retreat should be completely silent no it shouldn't no it shouldn't so one's got this idea one's heard about this noble silence uh, they heard about it from people like Sonia and me and 
few others uh, 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 around here. And that impression, that holding to uh, that, any little sound one starts reacting against. There. The person hears the voices of the people in the kitchen. It's the staff. They have a right to talk. They're here. They don't want to live in a frozen world of writing notes to each other because of the neuroses of the meditators. <laughs> Sometimes a person wants to make contact and starts whispering uh, 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 with the others. Takes two to whisper. And so sometimes the other, she or he, either with a stranger or with a lover or partner or relative or whatever, sometimes one just needs the clarity to say, silence please, and to say it. And so sometimes the voice which just says, the silent please, the voice, the, the, the listening which says, if I can't deal with people talking in a kitchen, how the hell am I going to deal with what's going on out there? It, part of one's practice here is learning to keep steady so that the reactivity that can go on towards the voices of the others or the machinery of the others, can we stay steady, that means the samadhi, steady enough mm-hmm to keep free, so that our noisy mind is not disturbing the sound. (laughs) And part of the the practice here, it would be unfortunate if it was a perfectly silent environment. Uh, uh, Half your reason for practice would suddenly disappear. (laughs) It's learning amidst the silences to really understand that words are passing through the silence. They're not destroying the silence, they're not corrupting it. The words are passing through there. And to appreciate, as well, in the practicalities of things with regard to this, sometimes the quiet voice or you ask the teacher to give a reminder about the preciousness of the silence but not to the degree that one is putting (laughs) it just has to be doesn't it it just has to be fighter pilots up there playing with their very expensive toys I wish they'd grow up and there's the situation where things come in unexpectedly. <laughs> Thank you to the pilot. <laughs> A good reminder to us. In which, can we allow that movement, that interruption, to come in and pass through and not hold to an impression? Part of the exploration here. Sometimes in the explorations of this samadhi and its as a supportive factor there, with the intentions, especially the wholesome ones, may not be easy to follow this, 
there are relationships to life which is not about wholesome or healthy or good beauty simple words here versus the not good the good things to do versus the not good things uh, uh, to do though in the everyday world there is a wish to engage in quote unquote what, what's, what is good what feels good for oneself and, and for, uh, uh, for others with it will come a relationship and that relationship may if there's a dependency on the good there will tend to be a relationship to the other of approval when one feels one is doing something good for the other this is the vulnerability of the doing of the good quite often we will look and need the approval from the other we're doing good we're doing the right thing uh, there or we will look inwardly for approval we can give ourselves a hard time for our action even when it's something quote unquote which is good here comes the challenge is it possible to engage in an action minor or larger in which the action is not about doing good it's not in the picture it's not part of the story it's not about recognition it's not about receiving something back from the other nor is it about oneself saying to oneself I've done something really good here this is really good to do it genuinely might feel well but this is the teaching of liberation it's not a teaching of maximizing feeling good about yourself because you're doing such good things <laughs> completely different teaching there are plenty of teachings that teach that already but a liberating teaching a freeing up of the being uh, teaching when understood and it's not easy it's not about intentions to receive it's not about intentions to receive from oneself either it's not about doing good and that movement is a different kind of action and there are times when we can know this and the movement is free from the I and the my what I get from you for, or what I get from myself from it it's not about that it's a non-I teaching a non-self uh, teaching and there can be a knowing with this action or this movement or this expression 
which is authentic and valid unto itself. It's not about me saying this is good to do. Not about somebody else. There is an authentic knowing it's valid unto itself. And freedom can express that. And sometimes in the validity of that action, even if it feels strange, weird, odd, idealistic, romantic, and all the other views and opinions that uh, uh, may be, the freshness and the originality of that, or of the validity uh, uh, of that, it might bring a reactive response from the other. Yeah. The person, she, he or they, may not understand. And that can then trigger a reaction from. And there's just one thing, amongst the many, which one really has to remember. Yeah. Whatever a person says to us about what he or she perceives about us, whatever a person says to us about us, about what he or she perceives, this is what the person is saying or writing today. That's what you have to remember. This is what the person is communicating today. It's true. It's a fact. And, and that applies with approval and disapproval. Be very careful of people who give you a lot of approval. Be very careful. Their warm, pleasant feelings and sensations. Their, um, uh, the words that they use, the, to, to flatter. Do you understand the word flatter? To flatter. Uh, to say what a wonderful person you are and how great you are etc you only have to say one single sentence which is disapproved of and ten years of saying you're the, you're the best thing since sliced bread and Jesus <laughs> and all they can see is what they don't like about you. That's why we have two ears. One for praise and the other for blame. And some of us have one ear sticking out a lot more to catch the blame and let it pass through. That listening with the blame, the fault-finding, though it is hard to handle there, but it, and though we are vulnerable to then taking on board and criticising and putting ourselves down there, but our practice is mindfulness samadhi to free up the mind. 
it can be if we really listen to somebody who's writing or stating verbally in front of us or behind our back the gossip line it could be that if we really listen we're not afraid to hear what people say about us really listen it could be there is truth in it so easily we reject the anger we reject the blame we reject the putting down but sometimes if we're steady enough that's the samadhi we listen there may be something in it that we need to hear that can help us understand and grow as human beings person may including family members may not wish to have any contact with us they've got memories they've got influences by other people they may not be strong in themselves or or whatever because they just follow what other people say or whatever but it can be in what comes over in that withdrawal in that coldness and distance uh, which we might experience there may be something in there that we need to hear it's not that we say oh I am the cause of their disillusionment with me I am the cause that made them step out of my life I am don't give yourself so much credit but it might be in the dynamic of it somewhere there's some <coughs> insight for that insight we need enough clarity to be able to listen and if we don't listen we identify with it it hits our own history we start reacting against them or we start blaming ourselves or we create a distance you're receiving blame you're being attacked if you're attacking back one can't learn anything if you're identifying with what is being said and you're putting yourself down you can't learn anything if you withdraw and say I don't want any more to do with this person uh, they don't understand me I'm stepping out whoever she or he or they uh, might be you can't learn anything so it takes experiencing the mind calming the mind the capacity to see clearly and maybe, maybe there might be a truth in it might be and it might just be 100% projection but it might not and frankly I'll bet it's not 100% there's usually somewhere in it something precious something insightful for us despite we need to remember that in our communication if you want somebody to listen to you the last thing you do is to get angry with them there is no more effective way to stop people listening than being angry with them can't think of a better strategy for people turning off and closing down it's one valid reason amongst many to live a life and really work on the anger all this 
anger is justified, I have a right to be angry, never mind the nonsense that the therapists tell you. The anger gets in the way of seeing clearly. The anger is a darkness in the mind. The anger is a shadow upon people. The anger towards oneself is a shadow on oneself. It's got a history to it. It doesn't help us to see clearly because it's got memory, views, opinions, disappointment, hurt, blame. And to me, from the standpoint of liberation, I can't see how it could be justified. If one wants to see clearly. If one doesn't want to see clearly, then of course just be, just be angry and walk around hurting people. But if one wants to see clearly, then we will work on this negativity and anger uh, out of respect for life, out of the wish to really see clearly. And sometimes out of that space that comes for us, there's a real opportunity then for the freeing up of the mind, as we've been talking together, to see really in, in fresh ways as, as well. So just to, re- just, <laughs> just to repeat and uh, 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 summarise uh, here. Uh, sometimes, when in our responses to life, in our uh, reactions that may take place uh, in life. It's genuinely necessary to mention the clarity and the firmness uh, is necessary. To follow the sequence of things, that's the insight here, sequence of things, and to see if something occurs in it, what is that need to understand here more clearly? So today, uh, the primary example is our the doubts that come in the other, in oneself, uh, or whatever. And can I just go from the inner movement to an action before producing lots of different ways of doing things or thinking about things there? The other aspect uh, to uh, all of this is the mindfulness and the energy. And when you experience some freeing up, freeing up, a clear confirmation of it is you're not making demands on others and you're not making demands on yourself. This is called heaven. (laughs) It's heaven for other people. It's heaven for you. And the experience of heaven is an important aspect of a retreat. Because it's such a contrast to hell. And that's also in the retreat sometimes as well. So the recognition of the moments, freeing up of the mind, which is another way of saying we're not making demand on the other, on life, nor on ourselves. To get to know that so well, to, to know it so clearly as well, uh, uh, the Buddha says, you know it as well as colour to a good eye. You know it that well. No demand on the other. No demand on oneself. And it's so clear and obvious how precious this is there. When something is clear and obvious, it's much easier to go back to. 
it is much easier to find because we having regularity of experiences. There are times when the hand, the metaphor now, is so close to the uh, eyes, we can't see the lines, we can't see the process, we can't see, just everything is too close to us. And that pressure, and it doesn't take much, makes it quite difficult to see. And the sense, and some of you have touched upon this with the, the, the one-to-ones, the sense of belonging is really important in all, all of this. And what I uh, mean by that is, if something in our inner life is a bit too close to us, we need the other or the other's who have some space, because it's not their issue, it's not our issue there, in which the other helps us to shed light on. It's not a teaching of self-reliance. There's not, there's not, the Dharma teaching is not about that. When the Buddha says, Sangang Saranang Gachami, Sangang, men, in this case, men and women of practice, the assembly of the like-minded, people coming together with a common vision or purpose. This is Sangha. And that can be spiritual, religious, social, political, whatever, where there's some depth of uh, value. It's not a teaching of self-reliance. It does mean, at times, in our daily life, we really do need the wise counsel, the clarity, the perception, the communication from the other and that's what Sangha uh, means it's this coming together for, for that and that coming together in connection with the other is important because I can't see how human beings can survive decently without a sense of belonging I can't see it I don't think a human being can survive in isolation because life is not in isolation. We need the friendship of others. We need the regularity of the communication with others. We need that sense of belonging there. And that can show itself and find itself, as many of us will know here, in a whole variety of groups. And it's become more and more important, in uh, my view, in which the traditional group was the family group but the family group under the pressures not because of individuals responsible for the pressure I think it's a very unfair judgment on any family member to say he or she is responsible in that way but the pressures which are widespread in a whole variety of situations and dynamics in people's life from health and age and uh, uh, money and confusion and, and the climate, social climates that uh, we live in. It means that the family structures are fragmented, they are weak, far too many are falling apart, 
there's extraordinary distance, there's a lot of fear and blame and unhappiness in all, uh, all of that. And it isn't easy to keep true to love and friendship and support. But if you, us, are in a situation where the family structure doesn't seem happy, there isn't a contentment in the family, you will need some, still need some sense of belonging. And if the family isn't providing it, there, there, and it can only provide it in a certain way, not in every way, it's not possible, then one has to need some other sense of family, some other networks, some <coughs> other cooperations and coordinations, and it requires a commitment because we can't live without it. Not live in the real sense of the word, live, living. And that takes going out on a winter's night when it's cold and wet and English and whatever it might be and keeping your eyes and ears open for events and groups and networks and all sorts of ways and linking with people and communicating with uh, people and having the variety of ways that that's pos possible. And I notice the important thing in, in this talking with therapists psychotherapists therapists who are doing wonderful and precious work on the one to one basis and great credit to you and others who are engaged in that work but the voices that I hear of the psychotherapists in different places that I go to there is more and more wish for people to be in a group for their therapy, that there is a wish to share more, to listen to similar experiences that other people are having. And therapists need, in my view, to adapt to a changing culture that's going on, where the sense of listening, sharing, communicating, being uh, together, uh, has a healing and supportive power to it. And so then uh, the one-to-ones, with all the confidentiality, is still being respected. But the participant, the client, as they're called, the patient, as she or he may be called in the medical, medical world, can begin to get a sense, wow, I can be in a sangha of healing, I can be in a sangha of meeting and, and, coming to, and coming together and let the patients talk about their, their health issues. Let the doctors bring the, bring the people together. Let the teachers, let give the children a voice to speak. That's their experience. Let them speak up. Let them have a voice. Let there be a sangha in the schools and in every other system. And we need just to change the whole way of friends and community and tribes and the collective, all in the sense of belonging, because it will give us a lot of support. And when one's really committed to exploring that, one really loves one's aloneness, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> one fully engaged with the other or uh, with the others. And when one's fully engaged, I promise you, it's no problem.
to step back and say, <laughs> and have silent periods and not feel lost or confused or uncertain or a lot of self-doubt. One just enjoys, not because of any withdrawal, not because needy, 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 needy. One's exploring the dynamic of the collective and the support we offer each other, the time out, and, and it just can move more freely. And the samadhi, therefore, can stay with us and the mindfulness in our love of the aloneness and those times and in the love of the connectedness. And as I mentioned and to conclude here, the sense of belonging is integral to the human experience. It always has been and always will be. And uh, we find our freedom in the collective and in our love of the collective. Keep your good heart, mind and ears uh, open uh, with regard to this. Let's have our quiet minute, shall we? May all beings explore the inner processes which are taking place. May all beings be able to respond in the immediacy. All beings appreciate the importance of belonging. So the uh, <clears throat> time is around four forty five.